Section 22 of the Second Jungle Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Second Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling. Section 22. Red Dog. Part 3. He moved, bandar log fashion, into the next tree, and so on into the next and the next, the pack following with lifted hungry heads. Now and then he would pretend to fall, and the pack would tumble one over the other in their haste to be at the death. It was a curious sight, the boy with the knife that shone in the low sunlight as it sifted through the upper branches, and the silent pack with their red coats all aflame, huddling and following below. When he came to the last tree, he took the garlic and rubbed himself all over carefully, and the dolls yelled with scorn, Ape with wolf's tongue, doust thou think to cover thy scent? They said, We followed to the death. Take thy tail, said Mowgli, flinging it back along the course he had taken. The pack instinctively rushed after it, and follow now to the death. He had slipped down the tree trunk and headed like the wind in bare feet for the bee rocks, before the dolls saw what he would do. They gave one deep howl and settled down to the long, lobbing canter, that can at the last run down anything that runs. Mowgli knew their pack pace to be much slower than that of the wolves, or he would never have risked a two-mile run in full sight. They were sure that the boy was theirs at last, and he was sure that he held them to play with as he pleased. All his trouble was to keep them sufficiently hot behind him to prevent their turning off too soon. He ran cleanly, evenly, and springily, the tailless leader not five yards behind him, and the pack tailing out over perhaps a quarter of a mile of ground, crazy and blind with the rage of slaughter. So he kept his distance by ear, reserving his last effort for the rush across the bee rocks. The little people had gone to sleep in the early twilight, for it was not the season of late-blossoming flowers, but as Mowgli's first footfalls rang hollow on the hollow ground, he heard a sound as though all the earth were humming. Then he ran as he had never run in his life before, spurned aside one, two, three of the piles of stones into the dark, sweet-smelling gullies, heard a roar like the roar of the sea in a cave, saw with the tail of his eye their air growing dark behind him, saw the current of the Wanganga far below, and a flat, diamond-shaped head in the water, leaped outward with all its strength, the tailless doll snapping at his shoulder in mid-air, and dropped feet first to the safety of the river, breathless and triumphant. There was not a sting upon him, for the smell of the garlic had checked the little people for just the few seconds that he was among them. 
When he rose, Carr's coils were steadying him, and things were bounding over the edge of the cliff, great lumps, it seemed, of clustered bees falling like plummets. But before any lump touched water, the bees flew upward, and the body of a doll whirled downstream. Overhead they could hear furious short yells that were drowned in a roar like breakers, the roar of the wings of the little people of the rocks. Some of the dolls, too, had fallen into the gullies that communicated with the underground caves, and there choked and fought and snapped among the tumbled honeycombs, and at last, borne up, even when they were dead, on the heaving waves of bees beneath them, shot out of some hole in the river face, to roll over on the black rubbish heaps. There were dolls who had leaped short into the trees on the cliffs, and the bees blotted out their shapes, but the greater number of them, maddened by the stings, had flung themselves into the river, and, as Carr said, the Wanganga was hungry water. Carr held Mowgli fast till the boy had recovered his breath. "'We may not stay here,' he said. "'The little people are roused indeed. Come.' Swimming low and diving as often as he could, Mowgli went down the river, knife in hand. "'Slowly, slowly,' said Carr. "'One tooth does not kill a hundred, unless it be a cobra's and many of the dolls took water swiftly when they saw the little people rise. The more work for my knife, then. Pah! How the little people follow! Mowgli sunk again. The face of the water were blanketed with wild bees, buzzing sullenly and stinging all they found. Nothing was ever yet lost by silence, said Carr. No sting could penetrate his scales and though haste all the long night for the hunting, hear them howl. Nearly half the pack had seen the trap their fellows rushed into, and turning sharp aside, had flung themselves into the water where the gorge broke down in steep banks. Their cries of rage and their threats against the tree-ape, who had brought them to their shame, mixed with the yells and growls of those who had been punished by the little people. To remain ashore was death, and every dole knew it. Their pack was swept along the current, down to the deep eddies of the peace pool, but even there the angry little people followed and forced them to the water again. Mowgli could hear the voice of the tailless leader bidding his people hold on and kill out every wolf in Sione, but he did not waste his time in listening. One kills in the dark behind us, snapped a doll. Here is tainted water. Mowgli had dived forward like an otter, twitching a struggling doll under water before he could open his mouth, and dark rings rose as the body plumped up, turning on its side. The dolls tried to turn but the current prevented them, and the little people darted at the heads and ears, and they could hear the challenge of the Sioni pack growing louder and deeper 
in the gathering darkness. Again Mowgli dived, and again a dole went under, and rose dead, and again the clamour broke out at the rear of the pack, some howling that it was best to go ashore, others calling on their leader to lead them back to the deacon, and others bidding Mowgli show himself and be killed. They come to fight with two stomachs and several voices, said Carr. The rest is with thy brethren below yonder. The little people go back to sleep. They have chased us far. Now I too turn back, for I am not of one skin with any wolf. Good hunting, little brother, and remember the dole bites low. A wolf came running along the bank on three legs, leaping up and down, laying his head sideways close to the ground, hunching his back, and breaking high into the air, as though he were playing with his cubs. It was Wantala, the outlier, and he said never a word. He continued his horrible sport beside the dolls. They had been long in the water now, and were swimming wearily, their coats drenched and heavy, their bushy tails dragging like sponges. So tired and shaken, they too were silent, watching the pair of blazing eyes that moved abreast. This is no good hunting, said one panting. Good hunting, said Mowgli, as he rose boldly at the brute's side, and sent the long knife home behind the shoulder, pushing hard to avoid his dying snap. Art thou there, man-cub? said Wantola across the water. Ask of the dead, outlier, Mowgli replied. Have none come downstream? I have filled these dogs' mouths with dirt. I have tricked them into broad daylight, and their leader lacks his tail. But here be some few for thee still. Whither shall I drive them? I will wait, said Wantala. The night is before me. Nearer and nearer came the bay of the Sioni wolves. For the pack, for the full pack it is met and a bend in the river drove the dolls forward among the sands and shoals opposite the lairs. Then they saw their mistake. They should have landed half a mile higher up, and rushed the wolves on dry ground. Now it was too late. The bank was lined with burning eyes, and except for the horrible peal that had never stopped since sundown, there was no sound in the jungle. It seemed as though Wantola were fawning on them to come ashore, and turn and take hold, said the leader of the dolls. The entire pack flung themselves at the shore, threshing and squattering through the shoal water, till the face of the